This is Pulse 95. 95. Keeping it local. Keeping it local. It's every Yes, it is Live Beats with me, Sally Musa, on Pulse95 and talking health today, talking in particular breast cancer. And I'm so pleased to welcome into the studio this morning, Radir Konna. Hello and welcome. Hello and thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you're here that uh, you're going to be sharing your story uh, with us. Today's show is about breast cancer. We just heard from Dr. Pranay uh, about male breast cancer. It actually happens, but we never think about it. Everything is pink. Well, well, it's true, but because the number uh, percentage of men who do get breast cancer is so low compared to women, and then again, it comes to the women's complex um, hormonal system. Men have a much, much simpler hormonal system. So that kind of explains why the numbers are different, not because of anything else. And so for the women who keep complaining about it, um, it really comes down to you have ovaries, you get a period, and you're able to have children. Uh, part of the issue that can arise from that is the lumps and therefore for those who do become uh, turn you know um, cancerous that's the case so take us back Radir, with your story um, you are of course Sudanese American so this started way back for you actually yes um, you know I'm 49 so this whole thing started when I was 29 um, and back in late 90s uh, Cancer was always attributed to older women, mm-hmm. uh, and specifically 50 and above, right. not even 40s. Um, so at 29, I had no reason. At that time, I was living in the Bay Area, working out five times a week, eating organic, um, basically don't smoke, don't drink. I never thought I had a reason to check myself. There is no family history. Uh, and also a long time ago, it was thought there has to be family history for you to think that you might get cancer. Now we know that is not the reason. It is an added factor only. So yes, it uh, went jogging one day, came back home uh, in the shower. I felt a lump that wasn't there in my night shower. Mm. And so I can tell you for about three, five seconds, I just thought time stood still because I knew it was a lump. And I was lucky that at least one came up to the surface. So that kind of was like a warning for me, hey, go get yourself checked. And what I did, I was engaged at that time, um, got out of the shower and never, ever called my GP ever on his mobile. And so that's what I did. It was a weekend. Um, and he was on the phone and he was like, not even hello, Gadir. What's up? and I said is it okay if I book an appointment uh, early Monday Um, I'm going to come to you before I go to work he's like why what is so urgent I was like Mm. it's not a big deal we'll talk about it then it's just that I felt a lump and then I heard screeching of metal he pulled up to the side he was going out camping out of town he's like I'll see you in the clinic in two hours Um, and I did see him in two hours and then called my fiance which he never let me forget that he was the one who got the second call, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, first. Absolutely. Yeah. I was like, I need a doctor at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, and uh, with his manual check, um, he detected other lumps. Uh, the one I detected was on my left breast. He detected uh, three more between my right and, and left breast. So uh, because it was weird and he already knew me all these years, he knew I don't smoke, I don't drink, I'm 
very active uh, sports-wise. He just didn't understand what was going on. And there was definitely no family history. Um, just in case, he said, I need an immediate biopsy and mammogram, which is what we did within two couple of days. Everything was benign. But again, it did raise a flag. Um, so he said to me, we'll just monitor you, ultrasounds, because uh, women who don't breastfeed, and at that time I hadn't had any children, you have very dense breasts. So a mammogram alone will not be sufficient. And this is something I always want women to know out there. Please, 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 if you have dense breasts, make sure you ask this question with the doctor. Do I have a dense breast? Yes, I need an ultrasound to complement what the mammogram finds. Mm -hmm. Mammogram alone is not sufficient to give you a full reading. Okay. And so um, I kept doing that. I would do three times a year and um, an ultrasound and once a year mammogram. And um, everything was benign until I moved to the UAE in 2006. And for some bizarre reason, 2010, uh, my benign lumps started mutating. Mutating to what? We didn't know. So you didn't get them removed at this stage? At the, when benign, we never tell women to remove them, mainly because they... Uh, Benign lumps are, are common to women. You know, there are, there are those um, lumps and then you have the cysts, which, can you know, they have the fluid and you can have that sucked out with a needle. Mm. Now, my thing is, women, you shouldn't get scared. That is common, very, very common. So women, which is why we're telling them early detection is important, but part of that, you need to learn how to check your body. So please, for all the ladies out there, uh, Teach your daughters as well, nieces, cousins, everybody. Make sure that once you hit puberty, uh, one week after your period, best, at, you know, seven days to 10 days, but it's after the, you know, you need the hormones to stabilize after a period. Learn how to do your manual checkup. And the reason we do that is we want you to learn what your breasts like. You need to know the milk ducts, all the things, the tissues inside. And so if you do that every month, you will be able to detect things a lot earlier. And that would save your life and it will save you a lot of hassle. Mm. And so for me, even though I used to do the checkups, like I said, it sprung on me and the others were so deep. It, it, I did need a doctor to, to find them. And I did have very dense breasts. Mm. So with my tests, I wasn't able to detect them. But like I said, I was lucky that this one bumped up to the surface. Now, um, when things started mutating here, doctors were not sure what's going on. And so just to stay on the safe side, as long as it changed its feature, we decided to play safe. So we had each one that would change, uh, mutate, uh, extracted. And I went through this until January 2013 when I was actually diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. And it was so fast because I was diagnosed with stage three, a very aggressive form of cancer. Between the last test on October 2012 and the first week in Jan, stage three it had already invaded my right lymph node that's incredible well it was a very aggressive form yeah most cancers are not aggressive so people just hear that cancer and they start freaking out Mm. listen stage one and two are the easiest form of cancer to beat. and if you ladies get diagnosed with that please thank the stars take a deep breath you'll beat it Uh, the survival rate is in end of 90s so you shouldn't be thinking about anything as long as you keep your lifestyle healthy now then you get a gap between one and two and then you come stage three and four and i'm not going to give you the statistics on that because i don't want more people freaking out all i can say is it's beatable it's beatable you can do it you can do it that's what you need to focus on 
That's what we want to focus on with you, Radir. But uh, something else that I also want to focus on uh, is music and the power of music. Yes. Because uh, you've actually requested a couple of tracks. <laughs> yes, I did. And this is one of your favorites. And uh, I'm going to play it for you. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the power of music. Looking forward to that. <laughs> Happy with Pharrell. It's Life Beats on Pulse 95. Sally Musa, only on Pulse 95. Welcome back to Life Beats with me, Sally Musa on Pulse 95. We're talking breast cancer and yes, we've got music going because we're looking at it. We're looking at the whole thing today from an optimistic uh, angle with Radir Konna, 
Uh, and you requested, this is one of the songs that you requested today. <laughs> yes. Um, happy by Pharrell, which makes you very, very happy. But um, we were just talking just now about um, how important it is, in fact, to have music, the healing power of, of art, of music uh, in life. It is really important. And I wish people would give it more value rather than thinking that uh, that is something just to dance to. Um, music. If you listen to even just environmental music, it will calm you down. You go and have a, a massage. What do they put? You know, music to calm Ambient you down. Ambient music. Ambient yeah. music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But my thing is, to everyone has their taste. Just listen to what makes you in particular happy. Preferably nothing that has crazy words in it, obviously. But, <laughs> you know, uh, crazy lyrics. But what you do want is music. Music makes you happy. Uh, just try it. For many people, because they haven't listened to music in the sense that it is, it has its own healing power. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, whatever culture or whatever religion you are, music, find out the type of music that appeals to you and that you can listen to comfortably, and you will find the amazing result it has on your mood. Now, we are beings that are highly controlled by our moods. It doesn't matter, no matter how strong you think you are. And emotions. Absolutely. And, yeah. So... You need to know how to find the things that make you happy and stabilize your mood. Uh, and if anything, quite make you even more happy, more optimistic. And for me, I believe in life. Uh, it's not about just taking medication or just eating healthy. It's, you need to have a holistic approach into your life. And music is actually part of that. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to know that more people out there just find the type of music that works for them. As you saw, I, every time I listen to this song, I just can't help but bounce around. So. <laughs> I love it. We've got a question in from Hannah. She's asking because we just had Dr. Pranay on. He's saying from the age of 40, you should be uh, starting to, to get screened. Just go and get screened. But uh, she's asking, uh, in your case, uh, the lumps started appearing much earlier. So, I mean, you know, it, it feels a little bit conflicting because you can get it earlier. Absolutely. So you, there are, there were patients who I met obviously during my treatment because by the time I got cancer official, I was uh, 43. Mm-hmm. So there are people who can get it earlier. I've met girls who had it in their teens and some in their 20s and some in their 30s. Uh, not necessarily that there is a genetic factor. So I'm going to come and emphasize that. But also, and as of yet, um, there is nothing in science that completely explains the reason that's happening. However, we do know one thing. Through the UAGDA, we found out, I mean, um, uh, Dr. Maria Mutter is the one who's heading this institution. And it's the first institution in the uh, Middle East, MENA region altogether. What we're trying to do is find the genetic factors that work within the MENA region. Now, we found out that for some reason, the cancer that strikes women in the West in the 50s, strikes us much earlier, actually in their 30s. In the Middle East? In the Middle East, in the and whole MENA region, Middle East and North so Africa. That is so interesting. So in the West, it strikes much later than it does here. Absolutely. And it's the same strain, but we don't understand yet. And and, and the reason people need to understand, you, you can go and Google a lot of information. You should learn. You know, it's important for you. Knowledge is power. However, a lot of the statistics and information out there right now is really from the Western world. Mm. Is that applicable to the rest of the world? Not necessarily as we're finding out, just because there are different dynamics at play, can't be accounted for, lifestyle, uh, the in, the environment, and everything that comes into play with our health. So we're still testing, we're still trying to find out, um, 
with UAGDA, this is a first step in the right direction, trying to figure out what's happening in the whole region. But there's a lot of a lot of research to yet need to happen. But sounds what like we, a very long process. It is, and and and. But the thing is, if people don't come forward and, and let us know that they're sick, how are we able gonna ever have the right number of data to be able to assess what's going on? And so, don't be scared from cancer. It's just another disease. You know, it's like people got a heart, uh, a kidney, a liver issue. It's just another disease to be treated and is beatable. You know, the, I think you bring up such an important point because there is still that stigma around it. And, um, it, you know, whoever hears that word, whether you're somebody who's inflicted with it or somebody that you know uh, has uh, cancer, it's just a shock to the system immediately. Uh, but obviously there are there are different ways of dealing with it. There are different levels, obviously, of cancer as well. Yes. So what is your experience of, you know, when you heard that you had it and when, how did you deal with that? Okay. Uh, I guess in, in my own way, when, because having those lumps at 29 and for years, I've been testing every four months. Now, the funny thing was when I found the first lumps uh, by my doctor, his name is Melvin Hewitt, uh, he was like, Thank God they're benign after the mammogram and all, you know everything and the uh, the biopsy. And I remember, and I'm a very optimistic person, but I had deep down a very different feeling. I looked at him, I was like, something is off. Wasn't right. Yeah. So actually, when I got diagnosed in Jan, I actually sent him a message and I was like, guess what? And he just laughed. He's like, you always knew, didn't you? Now, having said that, as you said, there's when I heard the news, it was still devastating. It took me um, uh, 15, because what happened since the mutation started, the mammogram was no longer sufficient. We started switching to an MRI. So instead of the annual mammogram, I needed a more extensive testing. And so we switched to the MRI. And it was the test of the MRI that even though in October 2012, I was clear, I told them something is wrong. Mm -hmm. Something is absolutely wrong. I was bleeding by then. I had a period that won't stop. So I was essentially bleeding for almost six months. Mm -hmm. And I kept insisting I need another test. So I pushed forward the date of my MRI. And so I had it in the first week of Jan. And, um, you know, you have to deal with the hassle with the insurance. And we would love if people in the insurance companies would be more cooperative, please, please. It's not something we want to deal with the hassle. The disease alone is That's a headache. so difficult, yeah. And so what happened was as soon as I walked out, I was walking to the car. Usually you get the results, you know, a few days later, they call me. This time they called me and they're like, you need to come back in. And I just knew. yeah. You know, I mean, what would they need you to come back for so fast? And um, the lady who did my test, she walked in and she was crying. And uh, we hugged each other. I remember it seemed like a haze, but it's like as if I floated back to the car, sat there, cried for a good 15 minutes. And the funny thing after that was, oh, God, how am I going to tell my mom? Exactly. Because you, you always think, you know, that, that you've got this uh, disease. How do you tell especially your 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 mom your closest loved ones absolutely um how did you tell your mom well I, at that time she was in uh, Khartoum actually so I actually called her and I'm like hey mom how are you by then I had everything under control and she's like yeah okay so the MRI test you did that normal as usual and I was like about that <laughs> and then she was silent and my mother old school when she's silent it doesn't bode well <laughs> right and um 
etc. So yeah, it's not okay this time. I'm about to switch my records and move everything to Tawam, which is where I was treated. I was like, but as soon as I have everything in place, I'm just going to book your ticket to come over. And she's like, no, nope, you book the ticket now. Yes, no, yes, no. I booked the ticket and she was in town in a week later. Um, I had to, I needed space. And she was angry why I didn't book the ticket for next day. But I kept telling her I needed to get things rolling because the doctors were shocked that between October and now it already had broken the barrier and invaded my right lymph node. They were like, this this is a very aggressive form. Go and find out what exactly is going on. So it was uh, by the time she came, she came that weekend, the Sunday after I had my full biopsy at Tawam. And in Tawam, they have a very interesting thing. They do a bl double blind test. So two laboratories will do full tests of you. They need to come with the same test uh, results. Oh. And um, they biopsy. So it's their every, way of double checking. Yes. And uh, they have to biopsy every lump in you. And I had quite a few. So that was, it took about an hour and 10 minutes biopsying and sampling all my lumps because then each one you take two to three samples of each wow. one too uh, it was really painful because you can't be put to sleep so they have to you know make sure that you're awake for this process uh, very tough especially if you have the number of lumps That's i incredible. had how many lumps did you have let's say over 10. wow so incredible. Uh, yeah you know you had like one done two done <laughs> Um, You're just counting down in that process. You know, after the fourth, mm. I was just, because multiply four times already three per, sam per sample, I was already done in 12. And I was like, I'm not counting how many more needles are going to be put in me. When we come back, uh, Radir, I want to ask you about, you know, after you found out, after these uh, cancerous tumors were found, uh, what you did after that, what was your process and your process of starting to recover? And I know that, you know, as we've been saying, um, your process of recovery is definitely something that includes music uh, and another song that you requested is this one thank you she's living in a world and it's on fire feel with catastrophe but she knows she can fly away she got both feet on the ground and she's
It's Life Beats with me, Sally Musa, and we've got Radir Kunna in the studio with us sharing her story of beating breast cancer and uh, sharing her experience. And if you have a, a similar experience, we would love to hear from you as well. 4215 is the text number on Itasar, 2022 on Do. And also, uh, of course, you can get us through Instagram because we are on Instagram Live at the moment. If you've got a comment, a question for her, you can text that in now. Um, and uh, we actually have a question here. Um, this one is from Haifa. Uh, and she is saying, uh, yes, you talked about the fact that you got uh, lumps earlier. She said, um, I am 38 years of age. I have uh, breast cancer history in my family. Uh, but the doctor said there's no need to test now. Okay, I guess the first thing that she needs to know is, has she done or any uh, member in her family the BRCA1 and 2 tests, which is... I heard you earlier talk to the gene test. You need to know first if that factor is there. But obviously with what you've said, yes, there is actually that. Having said that, you can still test negative because it's up to 80% accuracy. Mm-hmm. Now, that's set aside. Uh, you're 38. You didn't mention if you are married, you have kids, um, if, if you're, is there a problem with the menstrual cycle. If, if we say all of this is okay, then I would suggest that you do go to a doctor. You need to have a good gynecologist, number one, and uh, go to a breast doctor. Uh, they're different, not your regular cosmetic doctor. So find a hospital that deals with breast cancer, and preferably they have what we call a breast unit. 
go and get uh, go and talk to them and they might start you off with a, a mammogram but right now a manual test by a professional doctor should be done uh, you need to learn how to test for yourself uh, your body and if you are girls uh, when they reach puberty please remember to teach them that too and um, my suggestion is by 40 you should start doing mammograms mm-hmm. as long as the test with the doctor right now shows that you're okay so you can do the manual test and you can opt for an ultrasound which i would recommend okay that's uh, i hope that's answered your question haifa um coming back to your experience uh, radir uh, once you found out uh, that you had the lumps and and the treatment and and dealing with that both on a medical level but also on an emotional uh, mental health kind of level uh, take us through that process okay so um I didn't know I had a very aggressive cancer. So on the Sunday when they did the biopsy, the results were due in another week. That same Wednesday, the doctor called me. She said, you're coming in tomorrow. I went in thinking like she had a point to say. I didn't know I was going to start chemo that day. So I was. I didn't even have time to do the baseline test. You started needed. chemo the same day. I, wow. Literally. And wow. so I, I knew my chemo was in about two weeks. And to be forwarded. You know, I guess there was no dodging the bullet. You just had to uh, just deal with it. Now, if anybody thinks chemo is a fun thing to go through, I will correct them. Uh, it is probably the most painful test um, uh, medication you can have. And then again, people need to understand there are different types of chemos based on the type of cancer you have. Not all of us take the same thing. The more aggressive cancers are obviously going to have a more aggressive treatment. And for me, um, I remember when I was uh, put on my seat at Tawam and the, the nurses looked up my chart and they're like, oh, we have a VIP. And I thought, aren't we all VIPs in this place? Then when I saw my chemo, which is the one they had to start with, what, what chemo does, and this is what people need to know what chemo does. Chemo needs, uh, what it does is limits the spread of your cancer so that if, especially if it's uh, moving fast uh, or has been there for a long time and you didn't detect it, they need to kind of limit it so they can operate and have it taken out, the lumps. So that's what pe- chemo does. Now, unfortunately, chemo also um, destroys also good cells in your body, which is that why we have hair loss and all this other stuff that happens to us. Now, for me, uh, taking that first chemo that first day and having that most aggressive chemo, um, which can't be administered to everybody. Uh, there's a certain age range just because not too young and not too old because it will kill them. Um, the same, the person who walked in was not the person who can, who walked out that day. And that I can tell you for a fact. Um, it's a very painful um, chemo. It administered in, in very slow because any faster it can kill you as well. So what, what was strange for me was sitting there that day I home the whole treatment takes about seven eight hours was just um, reflecting mm-hmm. on where I am that day mm. but what was in my head that day was like okay this is a very painful thing I actually told the the nurses that day and the doctor that you know they ran the whole results for me like what is my whole treatment going to be like so for me because it was a very aggressive cancer I had to start with chemo then there would be surgery and then to finish off with radiation I had five weeks radiation um was I told him, I don't want to know the number of treatments. Tell me when it's the one before last. Because I was asked one thing by the doctors, which was fight. We'll give you the, the best medication out there. Fight. So if I'm going to fight, what's the number of the treatments going to change for me? Except it's just going to make me more apprehensive. And I needed to stay calm and cool and collected. And, and, and just focus on surviving each day. Now, 
this was my way. And I had that first, you know, because I was taken by surprise with the chemo that first day, I had a few hours to reflect about what is it I can take charge of. And I saw a lot of the ladies who lost their hair, half some of it still losing it there in the process. And I was like, well, there are certain things I can take control of, which is how I relate to the disease, my strength. This is me. I'm, I'm quite a tough chick. And yes. cancer, I can tell you, made me a lot tougher. Um, but then I decided there were some physical aspects of it I can do, which is shave my head. So that day um, when we were done, went back you home. You shaved your head before it fell out. I didn't wait. Why Why wait for it to fall out? It's going to fall off. And it's a very painful process wow. emotionally. Uh, but also, it actually hurts as the hair comes off. It actually does you hurt. You imagine that it just falls out No, painlessly. No. It's, wow. uh, if you ask people who've gone through it, I'm like, well, why would you wait? Uh, I mean, what is the attachment? Uh, see, in the society, we're conditioned that women have to have long hair and boobies, breasts. And if we take one or the other... You're not really a good woman or a complete woman, which is absolutely bizarre. Yeah, We're a human being with hair, no hair, one breast, no breast. Right. Exactly. You have to hold on to your humanity. Absolutely. You have to hold on to who you are. And that sometimes means losing a part of your body. Absolutely. And so you just took charge. You just went for it and you said, I'm going to take control of this. It is not going to control me. Abs- I, my, my message to anybody listening out there is this. I chose to define cancer. I chose not to let cancer define me. And I'll continue to do that. I am a survivor. Alhamdulillah. Now, I've just celebrated my fifth year a few weeks ago. But I will continue that because what I will not allow is people to look at me with sorrow and like, oh, poor you. No, don't poor me. I'm, I'm, I'm a very strong person. I'm a happy person. I'm a content person. You need to worry about you. If you think that this is something negative, then I'm not the one with an issue. You're the one with an issue. Correct your information and knowledge. Do you find that that is part of the problem when, um, you know, from because you need a support system around you. Yes. But those around you don't understand how to um, support. And um, so that kind of, you know, like you said, they look at you with pity. That's not the way to support. No. What? How should people be viewing this? Well, I would I'd recommend this. For all the people who are going, for all the patients uh, who are going through cancer and, and those who just survived it, because it is an, uh, it's something we have to look out for ourselves mm. for a lifetime. You, what you don't need is people around you who say, poor you. And you need to be quite clear and firm about that. For me, I'll share with you what I did which I hope would be something a lot of people would be able to do, is I spoke to my family and friends, co-workers, everybody. And I was like, this is what's happening. Please don't feel sorry for me. You want to pray for me? Great. You want to wish me luck? Great. But what you can't do is call and say, oh, poor you, or cry. I don't need that. No. And so for those who, there were people who were honest enough who told me, Ghadir, we can't hear your voice and not cry. We can't see you. I literally told them, don't see me. I said, you can text me. If you, my voice also makes you cry, text me and I'll write back. Now, and I do have to say a lot of them did that. And I have to accept that we are all different people, different yeah. levels of strength. Yeah. So I'm not going to portray my level of strength on somebody else. Uh, you know, I have to accept them as much as they accept me for who and what I am. However, obviously, then there are people you meet in your life, you know, just like a divorce or sickness. It's funny how it will sieve out the, the fluff in your life. So there were people who, it's not because they were scared, 
they just chose not to deal with the drama of my cancer and just disappeared out of my life and waited until I actually survived. And then I was recuperating and getting back on track. And then they were, you know, Before sending me a message, back. hitting me up. Hey, how are you doing? Wow. Well, you know what? Where were you when I, you know? I didn't even waste time, believe it or not, you. Sally, to respond. My answer was like, delete. That's it. Yeah. Just delete. Why would I, just, I waste my time? <laughs> you needed to take control. And that's exactly what you did. But we're uh, going to come back in just a moment with you, Radir, uh, and talk a bit more about uh, the treatment and, and how you managed to, to keep coping with it uh, on an emotional level as well. But also, what still needs to be done? That's all coming up next on Life Feeds on Pulse 95. Pulse 95. You're listening to Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Pulse 95. It's Pulse 95. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. 95. Radir Kuna is here on Life Beats and uh, she is telling her story of uh, taking control and surviving hey. breast cancer because <laughs> it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. But uh, Radir, there's a lot, I mean, around this in terms of um, the social stigma is still there. And yes, it's so it's, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but the stigma is still there. Yes. Um, for all the men and women out there, you need to understand a breast... It's just a breast. It's another part of your anatomy. It's a hand, a nose, an eye, whatever it is. Okay. So that's how you need to take care of it and, and, and think about it. Uh, is it covered? Yes, it's covered. Just like other parts of your body have to be covered. But it's not that you don't take care of it. Unfortunately, we've been conditioned socially. And this is not something just for this region. It's globally. Mm-hmm. Um, women's breasts are a taboo. Uh, and 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 it's it shouldn't be thought about that way. So it is crucial that women take control of their mind and their bodies. It's your body. Take care of it. And for the men, what we want from you is your support. I mean, everybody has a mother, a sister, a wife, a daughter, or something, a cousin, an aunt. Would you want them to be sick? Now, what people don't realize because of this stigma, a lot of women don't come forward or choose to be tested or check themselves up. Do this, you see this? Do you see this happening? Absolutely. I cannot tell you. And, 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 you know, people tell me, oh, in your culture. No, I'm talking about Western women, too, because for some reason with breast cancer in particular, this particular organ, um, men have a tendency to cheat. And for those um, places where they can uh, marry another wife, they do marry another wife. Mm. And uh, many get a divorce. And it's really sad over a breast. I, I actually, and, and, and this is not just from regular people. I actually had a doctor who challenged me one time on this. And uh, he said to me, oh, you talk. He asked me, are you married? I said, no. He said, oh, but that explains it. And I'm like, you really think the fact that I'm married or not explains why I choose to talk openly about this subject. Mm. I was like, you're very mistaken. And so it's really sad. This is a doctor. It's about saving lives. Yes. It's not, this is not. You know, some emotional game Absolutely. that can be played. I mean, uh, you were telling me off air as well that there are some doctors who don't, uh, who won't screen mm-hmm. uh, women who uh, might have, uh, you know, breast cancer in, in their family. And um, maybe, you know, a young woman who's under the age of 40 or something like that is concerned, you know, has this in her family and wants to go and get screened. But they'll 
they'll get turned away. Yes, and that is actually very sad. There are a lot of school, old school mentalities, even in medicine. There's old school mentalities in a lot of everything in every field in work. So you do have a lot of doctors who still are not up to date. They're still using the old, old medical manuals. Mm. And so people need to be educated. So please, women out there, get educated. It's your body. Get educated about your body, about your health and what's important to make you stay alive for you. Mm -hmm. You should want to stay alive, not for your husband, nor your children, for you, because you deserve to live. That's just the bottom line. So for those uh, who have a family history and get turned away, first of all, don't wait until 50. I still hear that crazy number, 50, get checked with a mammogram. No. 40. Start with 40 uh, as a normal person. Uh, but if you have a family history and you're younger than 40, uh, definitely go and have a doctor do a manual test and uh, second that, uh, you know, back it up with an ultrasound. If the ultrasound is okay, great. Uh, but keep doing the ultrasounds. There is nothing, there is no harm done with an ultrasound. Mm -hmm. And if you're approaching 40, you hit the magic number, you do your annual mammograms. And we're just about out of time, uh, but your kind of final words of how to deal with it, what kind of a mindset that, uh, you know, somebody needs to go in with this. Uh, if you hear the C word, what should you be doing? You need to be strong. You need to be strong for you. This is something that is absolutely beatable and it totally, totally depends on how your mindset is. So have faith, be strong, do your part so that the medicine can do its part. And of course, you know, pray to God. But a lot of it is about having a positive, strong mindset. And if you start getting uh, to cry or have keep people around you who support the poor you pity kind of attitude you're gonna have a very tough time you shouldn't do that to yourself you this can do a, a bit of crying but then move on you know it's okay <laughs> we all cry it, yeah. men and women there's nobody who didn't cry right cry move on you know there is a saying they say that when you fall and everybody falls choose to fall on your back why because you can see the stars so the when you can see the stars you can rise if you fall flat on your face yeah no getting up <laughs> Nadir Kunna, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having, having you with us in the studio. That's it today for Life Beats. But we can't go uh, without one more song <laughs> just for you. And it is the one and only Mariah Carey. Thank you for that. And thank you for having me. Thank you. And that's it for Life Beats. We'll be back again with you tomorrow from 10 a.m. Talking design and architecture with Zaha Hadid Architects.